I had my first and so far sole experience with DPT around 8 months back. I was initially somewhat traumatized, but I believe I've since learned the meaning of the experience and come to terms with whatever it was. I am now in rehab for heroin addiction, where I am encouraged to look at a few things that have happened in my life, DPT being one of the big ones, so I decided to write a trip report. One night, I was with my friend who will go by the pseudonym K. He had done a lot of Lucy and a few research chemicals before the experience. Whilst I had done only research chemicals and mushrooms, I had not yet popped my acid cherry. We got into a heated discussion about drugs and the like, and I told him about the damned powerful tryptamine. He was eager to try it, and I had been thinking about it for a long time, so I decided to go over to my friend's house. He will be P. Of course, neither of us could have possibly fathomed what we were in for. The three of us went down to P's basement and weighed out the lines. P did 200 milligrams as he had tried it before and insisted that K and I do at least 150 milligrams in order to fully break through and get past the point of fear and anxiety. So we weighed out the lines and stared at them in a silent buildup of anticipation for nearly a half an hour, which reached its climax when P yelled, Why did we do this to ourselves? And the three of us simultaneously snorted the powder. It felt like a needle frozen to absolute zero penetrating my nose a thousand times. Then, a cold tremor slowly spread through my body from my nose to my fingertips. It felt as if I were falling into ice water nose first in slow motion and the entire room violently shifted and trailed off. A feeling of the most profound unfamiliarity spread through my mind, body, and soul and I waved my hand in front of my face to test the visuals. I expected some trails. Instead, I saw an indescribable number of solid versions of my hand, slightly overlapping each other, plastered across my vision. The hands proceeded to fractalize into infinity, with far too many iterations for my mind to process. Kay and I looked at each other, and, while English still existed, I screamed, What the fuck did we just snort? And we both leaped for the benzos that were sitting on the table. Some cosmic entity must have judged us for our cowardice and the table simply melted away before my eyes. I'm still not sure whether or not we took the benzos, but after this, I was confronted with a horribly mutilated, distorted version of myself. The changes in my body somehow represented my naivete and fear and it disgusted me. It said drugs and the word was repeated infinitely until all connotations were stripped from the sound and then the peak began. I felt the psychedelic tremors build up in my body until it felt as if I was lying on concrete next to a jackhammer, but the vibrations were coming from within me, pumping through all my veins and nerves simultaneously. My body and soul were being stretched and squeezed through every nook and cranny of the cosmos. I was imploding and exploding, concave and convex, whilst tunneling through all possible dimensions and the sensory overload was too much to bear, and then I died. Suddenly, I found myself looking down from the ceiling on all three of our bodies, mutilated, with blood pouring out of all orifices, and I felt surprisingly calm. I thought to myself, well, I guess we just killed ourselves, we can only go forward from here. For an indescribable period of time, I lived in the world of death and fear, with eyes in all the walls staring into my soul. There had been an awful glitch in the universe, and it will remain this way for eternity. I was granted hundreds of new and completely alien senses, which would be like describing sight to a blind man, and my unfamiliar sensory apparatus was being poked and prodded with painful impossibilities, and the world of death simply was. We had the vague idea that something normal had existed before, but that was eons ago, and we were forced to relinquish all preconceptions and familiarities, and then something beautiful happened. I felt the tiniest spark of life, and it built up until it was stronger and stronger and brighter and brighter, and, suddenly, the elastic band of my perception snapped. It felt as if I had been drowning and swimming upwards for years, and I had finally reached the surface. It reminded me of the scene from The Matrix where they break through the clouds and see the true sky for a split second. I felt all of life's vibrations simultaneously. I felt all the living that ever had happened and ever would happen, and my consciousness was lit up with the most vibrant, beautiful, and impossible color. I could see every submicroscopic particle vibrating with life, and I lived in this world, and I caressed its every atom. I was confronted with a lurking fear and impurity in the beauty, and it built up more and more until I was back in the room in the basement. I felt pure hatred and loneliness and was lost in a time loop, the ragdoll of all sorts of horribly mutilated, hateful entities which were laughing at me from all around. I was a naked baby in the deepest, darkest corner of reality with absolutely no sympathy or compassion. I somehow likened this feeling to a knockoff electronics store in Chinatown, but it was all worth it when I felt the love. 
I was brought to a world where I felt the pure and distilled essence of love, every particle. It was love in all its forms, sexual, emotional, physical, and of the purest beauty conceivable. My new senses were being stroked and caressed by the universe, and I felt all love that ever was or ever would be. Time no longer had meaning. I felt hints of what was to come. My ego was completely obliterated, and all that there was was love, and it was beautiful and complete. I was held at the very peak of orgasm for millennia, and then that climactic feeling somehow fractalized, and I felt millions of iterations of the feeling of pure physical and emotional pleasure all at once, and my hundreds of senses were melded together in pure synesthesia. The words ecstasy and bliss fall light years short of describing it. I lived in the worlds of polar opposite emotions for years, and it felt like they were coming together, spiraling upward, intertwining with each other more and more tightly, like the chainsaw buildup of a techno drop. My perception was changing and morphing so quickly my brain could hardly process its surroundings. It was like playing a high quality movie on a slow computer, with everything lagging, somehow beautifully. My reality moved forward in beautiful arabesque intertwining lines, weaving into each other, somehow digitally. I felt the collective god of the universe whisper to me and hint at itself, and then zang. Every atom of my body was simultaneously split into infinite thermonuclear explosions. I felt my body go through the process of nuclear fusion and I became a star, where all possible realities and all polar opposites came together into one beautiful singularity. It was the point where all complements unite, where all things come together, where there is no future, present or past. Time is solid and distilled and meaningless. The purest expression of the oneness of the universe. It was like staring into the sun for a thousand years, the light of the universe blinding all your senses and burning straight into your soul. There is no I, there is no ego, it simply is. It is God. It is the process. This was the DPT peak, the most mind-blowing possible experience, and, as of to conclude this part of the experience, I was, once again confronted with a strange version of myself. This time, however, my form was immaculate and fine, emanating serenity and infiniteness, sitting in the lotus position and hovering above the ground with one finger to my lips. It was as if to say, the old you was wrong. This is no drug. This is holy. This is a sacrament. After the peak, once the ego begins to return, is the truly bizarre part of the trip. I found myself, once again in P's basement. I was not yet back in my own body, but I now had some perception of my surroundings. I was seeing myself and my friends from a third-person perspective, and the room was made out of some sort of grotesque organic matter, with the walls consisting of grimy organs and blood vessels, and thousands of terrible eyes staring at me. It was like being in a Zerg building from StarCraft. The trip then became some sort of awful parody of my own existence, taking on a dark and demonic funhouse sort of feeling, where everything was distorted and mutated in some sort of horrifyingly comedic way. I looked at Kay and said, Dude, what the fuck? And pointed at Kay. Then he pointed at P, and P made a strange dismissive sort of gesture, and then I said, Dude, what the fuck? And pointed at Kay, and he pointed at P. And horrifyingly, the cycle continued. I found myself stuck in an incredibly long time loop, and I thought to myself that, if I didn't play my part in the loop, it would end. But every time it came around to my turn to make my gesture, it would continue the loop. I would find myself pointing at Kay. I'd somehow lost my free will. It was horrifying. I truly believed I would be stuck in this loop eternally, but something strange happened. Kay's third eye opened up, and he bent down and vomited out his consciousness. There was this pink, vomit-like fluid floating around the room. It looked like a liquid, but somehow it was solid. Kay's glasses had fallen in it, and we simply stared at his consciousness with his glasses sitting in it, and looked at each other with the strangest expressions. Then I saw him in the fetal position shivering, with the most horrified expression I have ever seen on his face, and some of the pink liquid which represented his consciousness found its way into my mind, and I felt what it was like to be him for a split second, and I started to get the fear too. We still remain in this liquid, but somehow solid horror funhouse world, except now with a touch of a digital feeling, for what seemed like forever, and I still had no idea I had taken a drug, but I knew that I had been in that basement for far too long, and if I remained there much longer, I would, in all likelihood, be stuck in that tormenting basement of purgatory for eternity. So I made a run for the door, I ran for the stairs, and climbing the steps was a harrowing journey, as if through the intestinal tract of some strange monster, with my mind fully focused on that beautiful shimmering doorknob. And as soon as my hand touched it, I found myself sitting back in the chair, as if some cruel entity would rewind time whenever I came close to escape, toying with me horribly. 
I kept going in this process for ages until what sounded like some sort of cosmic laughing track played. A cacophony of terrible laughter filled my ears and I felt the most intense possible feeling of embarrassment. I had made some sort of horrible mistake and all of humanity was laughing at me. Somehow, we finally managed to make it out of the basement. It felt like it had been years. I was confronted with the most amazing possible sense of relief to see the upstairs of the house. The world was still profoundly abnormal, but at least we had escaped the basement. Things from the past kept happening in the future, and the future in the present, and the present in the past, all at the same time. Time was not even remotely linear, but we could at least walk around at this point. We had previously decided not to go outside, onto the street while on DPT, but we no longer cared. We saw the front door and believed our only hope to escape the eternal limbo of the monstrous house was to go out into the street, no matter what we would confront out there. So, we somehow managed to open the front door, and what we saw shocked our mutual existence to its very core. We opened the door, and there was nothing outside. Our little trip was all of existence, and when we came to that horrible solipsis realization, I remember looking at P and K and seeing the most profound expressions of terror possible. Next, P's brother came downstairs. He looked like some sort of awesome godlike entity. I couldn't even speak after the shock of the lack of existence outside the house, but Kay believed that P's brother was God and confessed all his mortal sins to him, praying at his feet. Eventually, we reached our come down. At this point, it was like being on maybe a 10 strip of LSD, but our ego started to find their ways back into our bodies. Kay said, didn't we have names? Weren't we people? P said, didn't we live in Montreal? I said, yeah, 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 I was K and you were J. And K said, no, no, it was the other way around. And eventually we all figured out who we were. The rest of the trip was still somewhat terrifying and apparently I died at some point and P gave me CPR, but it might've just been a metaphor. Either way, I woke up almost a day later and I'd slept for a very long time, my brain having been very tired. Apparently K ran out of the house and halfway across the city as soon as the door opened to some sort of reality. Since this trip, I have learned a lot. It was terrifying, but I certainly do not regret it, and I certainly have a better understanding of how the Temple of the True Inner Light people believe in this substance as a manifestation of God. You have not truly lived until you've experienced the peak of a DPT trip. Whether you have taken 100mg of 4-ACO-DMT, 1mg of LSD, or 100mg of 2-CE, absolutely nothing can prepare you for a DPT peak. There is no way to be ready, except just to do it. I encourage people to try this compound, but be very wary. Don't fuck around with DPT. I was sleeping on a Saturday night when my roommate woke me up around 12.45am saying, um, the cat is acting weird. This was shortly after the sounds of the cat puking pierced my slumber without quite rousing me out of bed. My subconscious probably told me he had nibbled a houseplant, a passing thought that had kept me from waking up entirely. He's foaming at the mouth. That got my attention. I walked past my roommate who was cleaning up the mess and found the cat crouched on the floor looking fairly normal aside from the drool pouring out of his mouth. It was an alarming sight. I wiped his chin. We keep the toxic to cat houseplants up out of reach so I wasn't worried about poisoning by philodendron. My roommate was telling me how a few minutes earlier he noticed the cat next to the couch where he'd been reading. The cat looked worried and he had kitty litter on his paws which was really unusual. The drool gave it away though. I went over to a low altar table which normally has a little pile of dried Amanita muscari on it and sure enough there was a big one on the floor. I picked it up and the rim of the cap was damp from where the curious cat had been gnawing on it. It seemed like only a little bit of it had been consumed. The rim looked ragged and chewed up, but fairly intact. I don't know why the cat picked today to nibble the mushrooms. Back in the living room, the cat had moved over next to the wall and continued to look worried, but calm. I got next to him and spoke soothingly, rubbed his head, and settled in for an indefinite period of trip sitting. I had a feeling he'd be fine, though my roommate was concerned. The cat jumped on his favorite chair and blanket. For about 45 minutes, he just sat there, drooling onto his paws and alternating a thousand yard stare with closed eye reverie. His ears remained alert. He was clearly altered. We had instinctually begun whispering around him and moving as slowly and quietly as possible, lest we alarm him. 
I kept up with gentle head rubs, which seemed to help keep the worried look off his face. I quit trying to keep up with the unreal amount of drool though. Concerned that he might get dehydrated, I brought him a bowl of water and propped it right up next to him on the chair. He drank and drank and drank. We'll never know whether or not he would have eventually got up to go to his water bowl's normal location in the next room if I hadn't brought it to him. My roommate camped out on the floor with the intention of holding vigil and I stayed by the chair. After the 45 minutes, the cat jumped onto the coffee table, loosening a spray of drool all over it. He carefully stepped across the table onto the floor and made his way over to his sheepie, a sheepskin we keep on the floor that he likes to groom. I moved the water bowl next to him. He proceeded to very thoroughly clean himself, except when he reached for his privates. That part he seemed to reconsider and leave alone, I think because he was slightly uncoordinated. Once I observed him grooming, I figured he was going to be just fine and I could think about heading back to bed. My roommate had fallen asleep lying next to him. I'd gotten up at about 12.45am and it was now 2.45am. By the time I headed for bed, the cat seemed to be back in his closed eye reverie. The next morning, I woke up at 6.30am and was greeted by a bright-eyed hungry cat. We've taken the Amanita muscaria off the altar. This is an example to why you shouldn't mix and binge certain drugs. This was a while ago, but I remember most of it. One day, me and my friend, who is also my neighbor, decided to take DPH. I took 600 milligrams and he took less than me, I think 500. However, my tolerance was higher than his. I still think I gave him too much though. Mind you, I've also experimented with smoking nutmeg earlier in the day, had caffeine in form of tea, smoked weed with nicotine, and I think I had some DXM. I also had DXM plus DPH the day before. I don't remember how much, but it must have been a pretty high dose because of my tolerance. I don't remember if my friend had any the day before. I think he did too. I was actually planning to take 1000 milligrams of DPH, but because I smoked weed, I thought I would lower it to 600 milligrams. This was still way too much. When the DPH kicked in for my friend, he said he was hearing voices and I had to convince him that they weren't real. He was talking about seeing graffiti on the wall out the window, and I also had to convince him that there is no graffiti, but he wouldn't believe me. He was convinced that it was there outside. This was funny to me at the time. I wasn't really tripping at all myself, and because of this, I was about to make the worst mistake of my life. I get a can of beer for myself and my friend. Thank God that my friend didn't end up finishing that can of beer and didn't end up having psychosis like me. Never mix alcohol with DPH, especially if you've already done a deliriant the day before and if you're on a stimulant. This has given me psychosis twice before, but why the fuck do I not learn my lesson? Because of the DPH and DXM already in my system from the day before, instead of tripping, I just black out. Apparently my friend said the drug made him feel very angry, so he wanted to be alone. He kicked me out and I went to my own room. I don't remember leaving his room, but I do remember wandering around trying to make tea or something. Then, for some reason, I fucking went outside in my slippers with no shirt on and just started jogging. I have no idea why or where. I was mindlessly jogging in slippers like a drugged up lunatic, but eventually the slippers were falling off and getting in the way, so I left them behind. I proceeded to jog barefooted. I actually only moved into the area a few days ago, so I was in a completely new territory and had no idea where I was or where I was going, but I kept on jogging. I ended up being lost in some street, then I started hearing voices. I don't remember how the voices sounded, but they convinced me that there was a bounty on my head of 10,000 euros for some reason and that Irish travelers were coming after me. If you're from the UK, you'd know that Irish travelers are not people you want to run into. I started panicking, so I started climbing and jumping over people's fences to try and lose them. Now my feet are bleeding at this point from running so much on concrete, but I don't seem to care or feel any pain. I remember running past a couple of guys who were talking to each other, and when I ran past them, I shout, PLEASE DON'T SHOOT ME! They looked at me completely confused and speechless. I also remember a guy slowing down in a car and started talking to me as I was running, asking me if I was alright. I just casually said I'm fine and carried on jogging. Eventually I hallucinated that one of the houses were my parents house. I knocked and an old man came out. I told him to call the police because I'm being hunted. 
The old man was extremely confused, but he did proceed to call the police, but it took him so long to do it that I started thinking he was part of the group who wanted to catch me and he was stalling on purpose, so I ditched the old man and carry on running. I started running out of the street and into the countryside. I remember climbing up a tree to try and hide from the voices. Then the voices told me that while I was up the tree, they planted landmines on the ground. I somehow believed this, but I knew I had to get away as the voices found me. I jump out of the tree and carry on running with the fear of being blown up by the landmines. I must have been running for hours now, almost non-stop, with no water whatsoever on a hot sunny day. I must have also been extremely dehydrated from being on 600 milligrams of DPH, although at that point I don't think I even knew I was on drugs. I remember running past a construction site and through all sorts of thorny bushes. I ended up running through a cabbage field and I think a bunch of actual Irish travelers came out and started shouting at me, asking me what the fuck I was doing. I assume it was their cabbage field. It's a good thing we were separated by a ditch and they couldn't easily reach me. I think I told them something about tea and they carried on shouting at me, ignoring what I had to say. Eventually they start chasing after me and in order to get away I dived right into a field of stingy nettles, barefoot and with no shirt on. I remember one of my bleeding legs falling knee deep into a pond of some sort. I managed to get away from the travelers and ended up being near a road. The police finally found me. They asked me if I had anything in my pockets and for some reason I told them I had chili extract in them. They immediately handcuffed me in an extremely uncomfortable way and eventually I get thrown into the ambulance and taken into the hospital in another city with no shoes, no shirt, no wallet, no keys, and no phone. I had a dry mouth on my way to and in the hospital, but no hallucinations. I was no longer hearing voices either. The doctor told me I was able to leave at the end of the day, but said they would take me home if I stayed. At least, I think they told me that, because eventually this wasn't the case. Also, the cops said they were trying to find me for hours before they eventually caught me. I must have been running for two to three hours, maybe more. I decided to stay in the hospital. I was hooked up to IVs and they told me that my feet lost three to four layers of skin from jogging. If I tried standing barefoot on the floor with them, I would be in excruciating pain. I don't even understand how I didn't feel that pain before. I ended up having a lot of cuts and splinters and my body and feet were in stinging pain from the stinging nettles. The next day, one of the nurses told me I had rhabdomyolysis from running for such a long time with no fluids. Apparently it's a deadly medical condition, but I didn't believe that this is where my story would end, so I wasn't that worried. I think they were giving me potassium supplements for it. After about three days of being treated in there, I was feeling better and was told I can go home, but they said they wouldn't take me. I had to somehow find my own way there. This really pissed me off as I thought they told me they would take me. I was in a different city and didn't really have any way of getting home. My parents lived too far to want to come and pick me up, so I told the hospital I'm going to sue them if they don't take me home, because I didn't ask to have been taken there. And they expect me to rely on someone else to take me home? What if I don't have anyone else? I could barely walk. They eventually did end up driving me back. After this ordeal, it hurt for me to walk for about a month. Going up and down the stairs sucked, and some kid in the shop recognized me and was asking me, Hey, you that guy that was jogging? I pretended not to know what he was talking about and felt extremely embarrassed afterwards. I should have just laughed it off, really. Well, that's my story. It has been the worst trip and day of my life. I do wonder what would have happened if I took a whole gram of DPH like I originally planned. I hope to never have psychosis for the fourth time. It is hell, filled with paranoid delusional hallucinations. Last summer, after about a year or two of purchasing heroin on the dark web, I had some tested that I thought was true heroin. I was in the Letton and Zurich during the 90s and I thought I knew real heroin. All were fentanyl mixes with noscopine, a poppy straw extract with negligible alkalines. My world was destroyed and the remaining 5 grams got given away. I slowly began using a BC source on the streets and ended up using benzo dope, which is 100% of street heroin here. It is always a combination of fentanyl, benzo designer analogs of atizolam, and xylazine. It is nightmarish. 
The combo always gave me blackouts of 20 plus hours, then left me sleeping for days, then taking up to two weeks to recover my physical equilibrium and be able to eat and drink, as well as put more than a single thought together. Since September 2021, I have relapsed three or four times, remembering very little and losing a month of productivity each time. My wife has slowly told me what would happen, and little slices of memory have arisen in my brain. I am horrified and ashamed by what I have discovered that I have done. My dealer has surveillance video of me falling repeatedly headfirst off her porch and getting up, smiling, and walking away. I was forced into sobriety and withdrawal when I broke my ribs and could do nothing but lay in bed for one to two months. Apparently I had some bicycle accidents. The pattern of the high has gone something like this. One puff of foil and I am gone. My short-term memory disappears, which is precisely what a blackout is. No past moment, no next moment. My higher brain executive function or adult ego state is shot. First, I experience delusion of sobriety. I feel nothing and only want more. I finish the single point and go get a gram or two and smoke until comatose. Prior to entering coma, I have experienced the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde syndrome. Suppressed parts of my personality surface with no executive function or monitoring of behavior available. I remember coming to and finding myself thinking about the possibility of the possibility of thinking about going insane and acting out, such as stabbing or choking out my wife. I then experience a deep feeling of disturbance at why I am thinking about thinking about thinking about doing something violent. That is as close as I can get to the actual experience of thinking of violently killing the love of my life. I am told that during this, I am behaving paranoid and expressing accusations of conspiring against me on her part. The dope being all consumed, I then enter a comatose state where I am found laying in bewildering positions in the oddest places. Thankfully, she monitors and adjusts my positions. Persons in British Columbia have lain this way long enough to lose limbs and feeling and skin. Some 20 to 30 plus hours into the experience, this is replaced by falling into a deep sleep for a few days. Sometimes I wake up within this time feeling good and jump out of bed to redose, only to find it is lost or consumed, which enrages the beast once again, leaving me railing against my wife for many hours. I am panicky and cannot link two thoughts together and attempting to do so leaves me completely overwhelmed. I scream about this and that I need a day off from responsibility or thinking. I stress my wife enough that she enters into a stress-induced narcoleptic episode, during which she falls many times injuring herself. I can only scream at her about how overwhelmed and incapacitated I am, unable to do anything. This stuff will leave you forgetting who you are and your foundational moral compass. I can hardly function in my old brain. Shivery, sweating, cold, hot, etc. Gab all fucked up. Let alone access my higher brain identity and remember what my interests and joys are. This takes up to a month to recover from a single session. It is weaponized dope. It is evil. Absolute evil. My past experience with drugs has been moderate, having smoked pot semi-regularly as a teenager and on a few occasions in the past several years, and having done mushrooms a few times. The last time, the trip was pretty powerful both mentally, looking at my life from new perspectives, and physically, feeling that I was becoming one with objects, compared to the mere body highs I had experienced on mushrooms as a teenager, but I was still completely conscious of what was going on the whole time. Based on my experience with mushrooms and pot, knowing people who have done a lot of LSD, and having read a lot about salvia and other hallucinogens, I thought I was prepared to try it out. Prior to going to purchase it, my wife, her friend, and I watched videos online of people smoking it, and they ranged from people laughing uncontrollably, to babbling unintelligibly, to lucidly describing experiences that sounded similar to what I remembered from mushrooms. Thus, I expected an experience similar to mushrooms in which I would remain conscious and in control. I wanted to do it outdoors rather than in some dim room surrounded by clutter, but the meadow we wanted to use had people picnicking in it, so our backup plan was in the woods next to it. 
We sat on a moss-covered log and I put a pinch of salvia in a glass pipe, loosely filling the bowl. I didn't know exactly how much to smoke, but this seemed like a reasonably safe amount. I took the hit, and within 5-10 to 10 seconds, I felt a high coming on very quickly. I said, there's definitely something happening here. The next thing I knew, I was emerging from a momentary state of unconsciousness. I regained sight, but reality seemed to be shaking and vibrating back and forth on an axis around me, so that my consciousness was being pulled down and to the right, while I was trying to lift my head up and to the left and struggling to focus on reality and not lose control. Reality felt very meaty and sinewy, and I felt like I was hanging from reality by a thread, and if that thread broke, I would never recover and would simply go insane. For a few minutes, the experience was extremely unpleasant, disturbing, and terrifying. I don't know how to describe it in words the terror I experienced, especially now that it's hours later and I'm completely clear-headed. I felt like my eyeballs or any other part of my body might tear or split open at any moment, like the way my mind was being torn in all directions with the vibration of reality might also happen in my body. I struggled desperately to focus and I tried to look left at my wife and her friend, but no matter how far left I tried to turn, I could only get them in the corner of my eye, as I was still being pulled downward and to the right. The terrifying feeling was that if I were pulled far enough in that direction, the thread would break and I would permanently go mad. I also felt at the time that I had experienced this feeling on drugs before and that I was a fool for having forgotten it and subjected myself to it again, but since I've only ever done pot and mushrooms, I can't think of a specific time that my grip on reality has ever felt half as threatened as it did today. The feeling that was familiar is also the feeling I had the most trouble describing. Connected to the feeling that only one thread remained between my mind and reality was a generally alien way of seeing and perceiving in which things and people were monstrous. On the one hand, they seemed like robots or machines, and at the same time, all too organic, like they were meat machines, like terrifying animals that were native to this new reality in which I could only be an alien and a madman, and with whom I could not communicate. Mind you, this meat machine reality was not a physical high, a way of perceiving animal bodies in a new and different way as if on mushrooms, all the while understanding that it was simply the effect of a drug. It was a mental high, terrifyingly convincing, as if the chemicals in my brain had been completely scrambled for good, and I would never be able to process reality in any way remotely resembling sanity ever again. All this time, I was vibrating on the axis right on the line between sanity and madness, horrified that each vibration might break the thread holding me there and I would never recover, but be trapped in this terrifying moment for eternity. When I could get my wife's face in the corner of my eye and her friend's face in my peripheral vision, they were standing there completely sober and smiling expectantly, casually and innocently, waiting to see what I might do or say about what I was feeling. Little did they know that I was terrified to the verge of madness and was unable to speak. Their smiles, with their mouths hanging slightly open and waiting, frustrated me terribly. They didn't get it that I was struggling between reality and madness while they were standing there casually waiting to see what would happen, that they were a monstrous part of my madness even while I could still barely understand who they were and that I knew them. Later, when the experience was over, their casual smiling faces and the way it frustrated me at the time was the most haunting image that stayed in my mind. After what felt like a couple minutes of struggling mentally, I was able to get out syllables of sound, trying to relearn how to speak. I was very confused about where I was and what was going on. Since I seemed to have blacked out briefly between the onset of the high and the moment when I began to be conscious of my physical surroundings again, I had virtually no memories from before the blackout and I couldn't remember why I was there. The range of my knowledge was extremely limited and primitive. I knew who I was with and that I was struggling to regain a grip on reality, but they did not understand. That was literally all I knew. For a time, I couldn't remember what I had taken, if I had taken anything, or why I had done it. It was like awakening after a years long sleep, or being born even, to find myself in the situation I was presently in. I felt like an amnesiac, I was terrified that all memories had been deleted from my brain and would never be recovered. I managed to stand and I looked around me, trying to figure out more of the details of the situation I was in. I saw the pipe on the log which confirmed only that I had taken something, not what or why. There were two pieces of tinfoil we were using as screens for the glass pipe and the presence of the foil felt very dirty as if I was on a drug I ought to feel ashamed to be on and that added to the unpleasantness of the situation. Finally, after a struggle with my memory banks, I remembered that I had in fact deliberately smoked a specific substance and that it was called salvia. I remember pointing to the pipe and managing to get the word out, salvia, the first word I had remembered how to speak. It was later confirmed to me that indeed I spoke only that single word. 
Now, I was beginning to get a grip on the situation, but I was still extremely confused about the sequence of events leading up to the situation I was in and what I was supposed to do next. I knew deep in my being that the drug I had just smoked was very, very bad, as it had just intensely threatened my sense of my own reality, and not knowing then what I know now, I was still quite frightened that I would remain insane forever. I was beginning to get words out now, and I started telling them that the stuff was bad, not good, that I didn't understand where I was or what was happening, and that I needed to get out of the forest. I felt that the dim level of light in the forest had been responsible for my blacking out, that if I had been somewhere better lit and with more to look at, that I would have maintained more awareness of reality throughout the experience. I also still felt that all of reality was meaty and sinewy and that I was attached to it, and that the forest with its twigs and pine needles was tearing at me, and that if I could get out, I could begin to recover and calm down. As we walked out of the forest, I was still trying to explain that the drug I had just done was very bad and that I was very upset, but to my dismay, my wife and her friend didn't seem to understand the gravity of the situation that was so obvious to me, and they were saying that my wife's friend was going to smoke some now. They were acting and talking so casually and saying that she was going to do it even though I was telling them right then what horrible stuff it was. The problem was that they were still aware that we had come to the forest planning for the two of us to smoke it, me first and then her, whereas I was only working with the very limited knowledge I had been able to put together since I had woken up in the forest five minutes earlier. The plan, that I had come here to do this on purpose and that she was going to do it next, was very unclear to me, and their saying that she was now going to do it seemed crazy. We came out of the forest and I saw the blue sky and clouds and trees and I realized that I knew what they were and where I was and that I was calming down. I still was not confident that I would ever return completely to normal. I felt like I might have killed large portions of my mind and might live the rest of my life as a mentally disabled person. I followed them across the grass as they were looking for somewhere to sit so she could smoke it which was still very upsetting to me. They came to an area and said, this is a good place and we sat down. At this point, I was recovered enough that I was rambling a lot about how upset I was and how salvia was really bad stuff and that I would never do it again and might never do any kind of drug again. I was upset that no matter what I said, my wife's friend was still about to smoke the stuff anyway. Again, the main thing here was that I didn't understand that we had come there planning to do it and that since they were still sober, they were still following the plan. She proceeded to smoke it. Later they told me she smoked half as much as I did, though I wasn't paying attention at the time as I was still coming to the grips with reality myself. She basically said that she felt like someone was lifting the ground and tilting it to the side and then she laughed hard for what felt like 5 seconds and then it seemed like it was basically over for her. She said she loved it and would like to do it again. She was very casual about it. We sat there for a while longer while I kept rambling, unable to resist about what my experience had been like. Once I was recovered enough that I no longer felt insane or amnesiac, that I knew that I was going to be okay, the after effect was as much as I've read it to be, very soothing and serene for a half hour or so. I felt childlike and safe and happy and comfortable in the world. Perhaps it was simply the contrast of sober consciousness against the terror of 15 minutes earlier. That soothing childlike feeling slowly faded over an hour or so and I was back to normal. Though for the rest of the day, I felt on an intellectual level that I had been through an exhausting and traumatic experience. But there was no mental cloudiness or side effects of any kind. Whereas when I smoke pot, I feel very cloudy for hours afterward and have impaired memory and concentration for days. Now that I am back in reality and know that I was 100% back to normal within an hour after the experience, I've already changed my mind about never doing salvia again. I would like to try a smaller amount and see if I have an experience more like the ones I've seen and heard about in others. At the same time, I wonder if this is simply because I already can't fully remember how terrified I felt at the time and I'm going to remember it the hard way. I used to be a pretty big stoner back in the day, would always smoke at parties, have 5 or 6 cones after work and was usually high when not busy during the day. Never touched anything other than some coke here and there so considered myself pretty tame. Weed started losing its touch for me and missed how it used to feel and ended up getting my hands on some hash and that shit was like smoking for the first time again. It was amazing but I also knew not to abuse it so I would only have it here and there. One day after work, I was pretty desperate to have a cone, so I ended up chasing a few dealers with a friend, but we came up short, dropped her home after about an hour, and gave up since I had work in the morning. 
I got home and was about to head to bed when a family member ended up packing me a pipe mixed with some hash and at the time I thought I was the luckiest bloke alive. That was not the case. Mind you, this was a smokeless pipe so I'm not sure if that has more of an effect but I had a few pulls and was satisfied. After talking to my parents for a bit I was feeling off so I decided to watch a bit of YouTube and fall asleep. That's when the horror truly began. As if out of nowhere, I noticed my heart beat, heavy and fast. I was supremely anxious and knew that something was very wrong. It felt as if I was floating above my own body in a way I can't really explain, as if I was trapped in my own body and was trying to escape it. I remember feeling like something was in my room, just watching me, breathing heavily and slowly. I looked over and saw a shadow in my already dark room. I didn't really react, but still remember it to this day. Then the thoughts came rushing in, that I was dying of a heart attack. All the thoughts of what my family and friends would think when they found out I died from a fucking heart attack and how pathetic dying that way would be. I threw myself out of bed and went to my parents' room and told them what was happening as they were very understanding and experienced with weed and hash. My mom comforted me and made me feel better somewhat. I felt as if something had changed in me, like a switch that had laid dormant for all my life had been thrown suddenly and I couldn't turn it off. After going back to my room slightly more calm, the thoughts came back, the panic came back, and that shadowy fucker did as well. It got worse and worse as I slipped into psychosis. Still somewhat coherent, I decided I wasn't doing this and called an ambulance. Both my mom and dad knew it was stupid, but couldn't convince me not to go. On the phone with the emergency services and my mom next to me, they got me to focus on breathing and calming myself, and it was working. I could feel myself coming back, but that's when everything went to shit. My dad was a functioning alcoholic. He'd rarely get drunk, but would always have a few drinks in the Arvo, and this night he had a couple more than usual. He'd been through some pretty fuck shit when he was younger and knew what I needed was a cold shower, and fuck, I wish I listened. He broke my concentration and started yelling at me. I told him to fuck off and that he isn't helping, but it got worse and worse and at some point in my state I decided that these two people I had known and loved all my life weren't my parents and in fact had been replaced by some evil clones to try and kill me. I guess my reasoning was that in my mind they weren't taking me seriously and didn't want to help me and that the weed I smoked was laced with poison to slowly kill me. I was gone at this point, full drug-induced psychosis, whether because I got laced or I just wasn't mentally ready for that much weed, but whatever it was, I was still in my own body, but my reality on everything was warped into something evil and twisted. I calmly walked to my room and told my mom that I just needed a second to myself. I grabbed the biggest bowie knife that I had as I collected them with my dad and brother and unsheathed it. By this point, my fight or flight kicked in and I had two choices, cut out my window and run for it or avenge my family and go out swinging. I decided on the latter and figured it was my time anyway and that I wasn't going to go quietly. I threw my door open and hopped on my bed because I was convinced men would come out from under it and out my closet to kill me. I screamed that I knew what their plan was and that I wasn't going to go out so easily. As you can imagine, my mom freaked out. She was crying at me to put the knife down to calm down, but all I heard and saw was something evil trying to deceive me. I thrashed the knife like a lunatic trying to get them to stay away from me till I could figure out what to do next. Like something out of a horror movie, I thought that everyone had been replaced at this point and I would have to find a group of survivors who has escaped and do whatever it takes to survive this. My father, out of fear for what I might do to myself, slowly approached me while demanding I stop this bullshit and calm down. He kept approaching and I yelled for him to stay away and that I know what he is, but he kept coming. I don't know why, but instead of trying to kill him, I just slashed at him, caught him on the ribs and it went pretty deep. But by some miracle, there was no serious damage, barring a little bleeding. At that moment, I was terrified because he barely reacted to a pretty bad cut, but somehow managed to get me out of my state. It was as if I could finally see out of whatever veil had been placed over my eyes and I knew what I had done. I had attacked my own father and threatened my parents. The confusion, regret, and fear was something I won't ever forget, but I was at least kind of myself for a bit. I sat on the couch while waiting for the ambulance and now cops show up while my mom took care of my dad. They showed up and I was myself enough to answer their questions. I started to sob uncontrollably till one of them offered to take me to the ambulance so I could regain composure and they could check up on me. Another stupid fucking decision on my part. 
As soon as we stepped outside and I apologized to my dad for what I did, I was greeted by a troop of cop cars and officers and instantly felt the veil coming back over me. I told the cops that were with me that I wasn't myself and I need help, but obviously they aren't going to listen to someone who's just lost their fucking mind. In the ambulance, the psychosis came back. Now I was sure that I was too much of a hassle to deal with and they'd just kill me in the ambulance as it would be easier and my ego would not let that happen. As if some deceitful presence had a hold of me, I somehow convinced all the ambulance officers and cops to leave the ambulance one by one till I was alone in there. Picking up a metal water bottle, I armed myself and would take as many out as possible before I was taken out. With a metal bottle in hand and my anger at an all-time high, I yelled and abused the cops, rambling about how I knew what they were and that I was next on their list. One thing that sticks with me at this point in the night was that the cops and ambulance workers didn't seem to care. I remember them laughing and smiling at me as if egging me on to do what I thought I had to. I'm sure it didn't happen that way, but it's still horrible to think about. I tried slamming the door closed, but they stopped it and rushed me. The rest is a blur, but I broke two officers' noses with the bottle and gave another one a concussion. They pinned me down and after another couple blows to the cops holding me down, they got me in cuffs, drugged me up, and took me to the hospital. I spent some time there, eventually coming out of the effects of what I had taken, and the guilt and shame will never leave me. I went through the courts and suffered some pretty horrific after effects, had crippling anxiety and panic attacks, couldn't sleep, relentless sleep paralysis, never touched any medication to help me, I was going to deal with what I had done in my own way. I ended up finding strength and relief from everything through God. I know it's not the ending some would expect or want, but it's what helped me heal and become a better person and the man I am today. When one experiences such unexplainable evil and darkness in their life, the only answer to that is opening yourself up to love and light. I cannot change what I did, but I can heal the pain and be better than I was. I'm closer with my family now and pride myself on being the best person I can possibly be and will never. Stop trying. This was my first time trying meth, and if it hadn't been so unobtainable for so long, I might not have decided to go through with it. You see, my friend D was always telling me he was getting it, but never came through, so when I finally did get it, it was more like a mission to get through with it than a decision I could say no to. So I crushed it all up and snorted two lines. I asked D over the internet if I should have felt anything by the time five minutes had passed, and he said it usually takes about eight minutes for him. After ten minutes, I could feel the drip, but there wasn't much to it, so I did a third line, bigger than my other two combined. Finally, the stuff's starting to work. After I did it, I immediately asked D if he wanted to go do something. He said he needed to go get his glasses fixed, so he had to go to the mall. I usually hate the mall, especially if I'm not willing to spend any money, but D is cool to hang out with when I'm speeding because we just talk and sing along to Beatles music in his car. Plus, I like to talk about the drug I'm doing at some point, and not everyone is okay with meth, and I didn't need any more rumors about me going around. He took about 30 minutes to get here, so for that time I just hung out with my mom. One time I had to take a 15 minute ride with her and did some coke beforehand so I could put up with it joyfully and I noticed I really liked talking to her while I was speeding, maybe because it was finally tolerable. She was trying to get a fax from someone but she didn't have enough paper so I volunteered to run downstairs and get some, and run I did. It was actually fun getting her paper and I remember hearing my friend E talk about how you like getting things done. So in about 7 minutes I took out the garbage, cleaned my cat's litter box, cleaned the dishes and got the mail. I would have stayed and did more, but D had finally arrived. We went to his girlfriend's house first for about 30 minutes, and when we did arrive, I wanted D to feel like I was, so I gave him a bump and I did one myself. D commented on how big the line was, but I just sort of brushed it off because it was just as big as the last one I had done. We walked around the mall and got his glasses fixed, and even though I was content being there, I knew that if I was sober, I'd hate it. We decided to head back to the car and try getting lost somewhere. We had to have spent a couple of hours just taking pretty back roads singing along to Beatles music and just talking until he dropped me off at around 10 o'clock. I talked to D on the internet for a while. He started to purge all this really intimate information about himself that I was so fascinated to hear about for an hour. 
Then it was more of an annoyance because I had instead become focused on making playlists for my iPod, and at some point I just felt completely exhausted in general and wanted to go to bed. I knew that wouldn't happen, so I just laid in my bed watching TV and listening to music. I had these little depression waves coming, and I could feel it, so I tried to distract myself as much as possible. If it had stayed like this, I think I would have been fine, but the next thing that happened made all of the good feelings that had happened before completely go away, and my first experience with meth turned into a surreal nightmare. I got out of bed at some point to go see how fucked up I looked. I had really red eyes, so I went to my dresser to go get some eye drops. My dresser was only about 4 meters away, but on the way there I got really dizzy and I had to sit down for about 2 minutes to regain my control. I finally experienced the sort of confused days the movies make taking a drug look like. I got back up and tried to put the eye drops in. First eye down, but I wasn't sure if I got in my second eye. The last thing I remember was feeling around my eye to check if the droplet had gone in. I woke up face flat on the ground. My hand was already at my head for some reason. Now I think when I had passed out, I reached for my head injury without even realizing it, and I started to finger a lump on my forehead. Oh my god, did I just burst a blood vessel? How'd this fucking happen? I went into the bathroom and saw that I had not burst a blood vessel, but rather made a huge and deep gash down the left side of my forehead along into my eyebrow. I looked down to see my finger I'd used to investigate was covered in blood. I ran downstairs immediately and woke up my mother. Oh my god, what happened? If I wasn't so terrified, I could have said I tripped over something in the dark, but I didn't. I told her I had blacked out and must have been acting pretty hysterical because I was sobbing and hugging her. She told me to calm down. I instantly regained my cool for fear she'd suspect something. She cleaned up my cut and I told her I needed to go to the hospital. I was so afraid they'd take a drug test and was considering waking up my brother for his urine, but if anyone was going to find out, I wanted to keep it down to my mother. I told her I'd gotten up to go pee and that I still had to. I went upstairs and hid the rest of my ice in my digital scale and realized right before going back downstairs, the song that was playing on my computer was Weezer's song, We Are All On Drugs. It freaked me out a little bit, but I hurried downstairs. When I went back downstairs, I got a lot of water bottles to try and save myself from the results of a urine test if I was given one. My mother kept commenting on how she couldn't believe that there wasn't much blood, and even though I knew she didn't know what I had done, I felt like she did. She asked me why I had gotten so much water, and I explained that I get vertigo when I'm dehydrated, and I thought that's what happened. She bought it. Why wouldn't she? She would have never dreamed I'd stoop so low. She told me what hospital we were going to, and I let her know how much I despised it. All I had ever heard about were botched surgeries and even deaths. I upplayed my uneasiness about going there, just in case I had to take a urine test or something. I could refuse and say I didn't trust the doctors. It was just a pre-planned ploy, but really, the doctors at this hospital were obviously the flunkies of medical school. When we got checked in, my heartbeat was at 147 beats per minute. In AP stat class a couple weeks earlier, I had to check my pulse rate and knew it was naturally 60 beats per minute. I felt like one of the nurses knew I had done something as she asked why my heartbeat was so rapid. I said I didn't know and my mom said that I was nervous. Exactly. I upplayed my nervousness from that moment on. They asked me for a urine test and an EKG. When they brought my mom the consent forms and left the room, I asked her if we could go to another hospital. She said it was completely out of the question and asked why I was against this one. I made an excuse I knew she would believe. You see, my dad had gone to this hospital and would always talk about how bad it was. I knew he was full of shit and just didn't like doctors, but convinced my mom that I developed a distrust for doctors also because of my dad. I look back on it now and realize how manipulative it was. All I had to say was dad always talked about how bad this place was, and I knew the seed I had planted in her head. She was outraged at my father, who she had divorced by then, and called him letting him know what he had done to me and refused to go anywhere else. So I walked out of the hospital and ran into the woods across the street. Read that again. I ran into the woods across the street. How was I going to explain this irrational behavior? I couldn't let her find me until I'd gotten everything straightened out of my head. I would occasionally see cars and would run deeper into the woods and across parking lots and neighborhoods. It was 4 something in the morning and I knew they were searching for me. At one of my longer resting points, I realized how dehydrated I was and got really angry at myself for not taking a water bottle with me. I peed in the woods and investigated the damage I had done to my body. I only had shorts, a t-shirt, and sandals on, and the vines in the forest had made unforgiving marks all over my legs. Enough. I had to get a phone and call my mother. I wanted to find her before someone else found me. 
I was also afraid the police would search my room and find the baggie and scale for some reason. I saw an old couple watching TV across from where I had been hiding and I knocked on their door. I didn't even care how strange it was, all I could think about was what my mom had to say. The lady from the house gave my mom directions to her home and I went outside to face her. I got in the car and saw my mom had been crying. God damn it, I was such a bad daughter and she put up with so much shit, I wanted her to be angry instead of disappointed at what she had raised. I told her that the reason I didn't want to go to the other hospital was because I had smoked weed and was afraid it would show up on the urine test. She was pissed but said I still had to go. I had forgotten the severity of the cut. When we got there and got out of the car, I realized that the cuts on my legs made it look like I had made them on purpose. When I walked past people, I knew that's what they were thinking, and even though it wasn't true, I felt so embarrassed. I would never been looked down at like that before. I'm a tall, thin, attractive Asian girl who makes good grades and has a pleasant personality. But to these people who had never met me, I looked like some anorexic cutter with a depression problem. The people at this hospital were nicer though and let me know that I had to get stitches. The other hospital was just going to put Dermabond on it. When the nurse asked me if I usually had a high heartbeat, my mother again said I was nervous. Good, she still believed my other story. I was asked for a urine test again and I did it and knew my fate. I became deeply depressed and carrying on the nervous act was getting excruciating. The doctor asked if I played any sports, to make sense of my rapid heartbeat I suppose, and my mother quickly said no, she doesn't do anything. I could tell the doctor was suspicious throughout the entire surgery, but my mom still thought it was all nerves. When he was done with the stitches, he left to go do tests on my blood, look at my CAT scan, and analyze my urine. The nurse came back about 40 minutes later and said he only had one more test to do, but the other one showed that I was fine. I tried to make myself think he had already done the urine test, but I was still deeply depressed. When he came in and said everything was fine, but the drug test came up with amphetamines, I could have killed him if I wasn't so exhausted and down. He asked me if I had taken any amphetamines, and I said no. I didn't think I was fooling him, but I sure as hell wasn't going to give him any satisfaction. Then he asked me if I was taking diet pills. I gave him a quick hateful glare and again said no. He said okay and went off. I had only glanced at my mother once she wasn't looking at me, but now I could feel her eyes burning holes into my head. I tried to go along with the diet pills thing, but she didn't buy it, so I told her I'd talk about it with her in the car. When we got in the car, I told her I'd taken Adderall to study. Even then, I couldn't tell her what I had actually done. She yelled at me for a while and I could tell what she was thinking and it made me cry. She had to put up with so much drug abuse from my dad and she thought she'd have to take care of me for the rest of her life also. On the way home, we had a real heart to heart, even though I was crying hysterically. She's a pretty cold person, but she cried a little as well, and I feel like it was a good thing that we got everything out in the open, even if it was a hard experience to take. I tried meth, and yeah, it was cool, but with all the amphetamines I've tried, it's still the same thing. It's a nice upper, but not worth the negative side effects. Amphetamines are all about being reckless and having a good time, and I can't say I've ever come out a better person because of them. The first drug I ever tried was cocaine, even before cannabis, jumped right over that gateway, and the only reason it was great back then was because I never had a bad come down, but when I started to, it just wasn't worth it. It took me almost a week to get back to normal. The first two days my vision was blurred, first three days I couldn't eat, and until the sixth day, today, I couldn't even stay up in class. I noticed that there are lots of reports of ether binges, a la fear and loathing in Las Vegas, but not a true addiction story. Here's a hefty one. I began doing ether in 2003 or so using the water extraction method. Quickly I mastered the method by doing the following. I took a Gatorade squirt bottle, sprayed starting fluid in it, preferably snap brand, second Prestone, poured the rest with water. Then shake vigorously for a few minutes, turn the bottle upside down with the cap closed, and the ether and solvents then separate. The ether is basically clear, the other is a nasty white liquid. Open the top, pour the solvent, and it's there. I'd also fold the shirt into a perfect square, pour ether on it, fold it across and squeeze it for a second so the ether soaks evenly into the shirt. Then I'd put a bandana over it and inhale it through that. All this does is stop me from rubbing ether on my face, an important step when addiction is in the equation. I also never sniffed it, I'd kiss the rag as I like to say and inhale orally. 
I'm detailing this just to show my experience with it. I did it so much, I had a complete technique in doing it. Now for the first couple of years or so, it was a fun little drug every now and then. I'd do it mainly when I was extremely upset or depressed. It would make me delirious to my problems so that when I came down, enough time had passed that I could deal with it naturally. It also helped me get over shyness. When I'd get that out of it, you don't really worry about being embarrassed or anything. So it made me confident and helped overcome hard times. I'd soon learn to regret this knowledge. About six months into 2006, I hit a stressful time. Now I should mention, I have severe depression and anxiety before I continue. Family health problems, finances, woman troubles, etc. had stacked upon me and I began relying on my old cure too much. For the first couple of months, I did it every day, a can or two. The effects began to wither away from their old selves quite abruptly, and finally one day, I did something very stupid. I have a concrete well outside my house that was my place of zen for ether abuse. On this particular day, I had a dirty mix of ether. I've never seen it such a dark color, ever. While well, I poured a bowl pack, personal slang, and laid on the lid of the well with my feet and head hanging over the edges. I then laid the rag over my face and just inhaled and exhaled repetitively. I expected to, at the worst, knock myself out. Well, I heard something banging so I shot up quickly. What I saw was monstrous. I saw one of my best friends locked in the back of my car, screaming and crying and beating on the back windshield. A mop that was dangling over my porch rail had grown an arm and started slapping the sides of the porch. A girl on my porch, who I later realized wasn't there either, started throwing dirt at me. In my wigged out stupor, I proceeded to yell at her and tell her to stop. I then ran onto the porch to stop her, and as I got up the steps, I saw that there was nothing there. I then realized I had been the victim of the most visually, audibly, and sensually intense hallucination I had ever experienced, and I've done a lot of hallucinogens, LSD, shrooms, AMT, 2CI, etc. I'm not telling this as a humorous anecdote or a wild trip report. My realization of what happened was the most horrifying, soul-wrenching experience ever. A friend came over later and said I was ghost white, sweating, and obviously terrified of everything around me. Now this isn't the end, it's just the beginning, because this was an important moment for me. So important I wouldn't realize for months what it truly meant, and that is this. That is when I first became addicted. I know it sounds crazy and reckless, and my years of ether abuse probably helped my already unstable mind make this decision, but I then began doing it every single day for months and months. Every time my lips touched the rag, it was only moments until the next hallucination. I was fucking nuts. I believed that if apparitions threw breadcrumbs to the birds in the sky, then it was going to rain. I believe that by doing ether and essentially wigging out daily, what an LSD user would call a bad trip was my daily bread, that I was tapping into a world of ghosts and creatures unknown to anyone else. Like I said, I was fucking nuts. And one interesting note scientifically about this is that the hallucinations had some repetitive aspects. There were certainly new ones all the time, but some I could predict. I would talk to them and look for them every time I did it, I eventually got so used to this state of mind, I stopped fearing these hallucinations. There was a massive spider that creeped out from the side of my house and had a glowing underbelly that would illuminate my entire window. A man wearing old-fashioned biplane wings would creep behind trees and try to sneak up on me. If I looked at tree bark, it would form an image of my face. And this one was really interesting, as the image was in real time. I would smile, and then it would smile put my hand on my head, it'd do the same, like a webcam that displayed within tree bark. I felt at the time that I had unlocked technology in my brain that no one had access to. Like I said, I was nuts. By far, the most unique and wild aspect of this hallucinatory experience was this. I'd look at the ground from above, on my porch, and the grass would follow my line of sight. So I'd move my eyes and the grass and leaves would move and follow my eyes, but on the ground. 
Inevitably, the most godlike feeling I ever had, I could move the earth with my mind. I even did a swirl to make the grass form the hillside in the nightmare before Christmas. What caused these hallucinations, I'm not sure. It didn't happen for a couple years, so I suspect it was the first signs of long-term damage. The extraction definitely isn't foolproof, and possibly those impurities damaged my brain somehow. In fact, I'd love to know why it happened. I put myself up for study just to know. By this point in my addiction, I was up to five cans standard a day. The weekends and random binges consisted of seven to eight cans. This continued for months, literally. It was getting very serious as you can imagine. Since my roommate was a terrible alcoholic, a truly crippling, hospitalizing affliction, I quit drinking, quit math, quit everything. I was strung out on starting fluid and I didn't hide it. Most stores only stock about two to three cans at a time. I knew which stores were holding when their trucks came in, what brand, what price. I knew the best and worst places to cop my dope. I'd find a store with the whole box under the shelf and I'd have a fit of joy. I knew all the brands, the ones to avoid, the heptane heavy brands, I could taste the sweetness in it. Eventually one store called the law on me cause I smelled so bad they thought I was huffing in the store. I wasn't, but the beauty of a $3 average fix is you don't have to resort to stealing, just borrowing money and scrounging change, which I did a lot. I wasn't allowed back there. Another store I bought out so much they thought the starting fluid was being stolen and thus started putting it behind the counter. On the other hand, one heartless station went from two-can stock to an amazing nine-can stock because they were making so much off of me. No money and compassion, I suppose. In retrospect, my addiction to ether was an intense, terrible time in my life. It taught me that no drug should be taken lightly and an addiction can happen with anything. It also caused me to lose jobs, weaken bonds within my family, lose friends, and completely lose faith in myself. I mean, at the end of the day, I was addicted to starting fluid for Christ's sake. I went about six straight months where no one could be in my presence and not smell the fumes. Trust me on this, that smell is impossible to overcome. I drank mouthwash, huff-tag body spray, everything. I swear, all I wrote is true as life and is meant as a warning to all. The reports I've read, while informed, didn't give the grim side of the subject, and my experience is the grimmest. I know it's as uncommon as a fairy tale, but take heed and take care. <laughs>